Hello, this is RJ Deacon. On a personal note, I've decided to attend Penn State Law at University Park in the fall, and I'm looking to network with any Penn State alum or um, current students. So if you are, go ahead and drop me a line at rhodesscholar80 at gmail.com. That's roads like the truck driving roads, and 80, the number, at gmail.com. Uh, moving on, this is the Supreme Court of the United States Opinion Syllabus in Comcast Corporation versus National Association of African American Owned Media. Certiori to United States Court of Appeals for the Ninth Circuit. Argued November 13th, 2019. Decided March 23rd, 2020. Entertainment Studios Network, ESN, an African American owned television network operator, sought to have cable television conglomerate Comcast carry its channels. Comcast refused, citing lack of programming demand, bandwidth constraints, and a preference for programming not offered by ESN. ESN and the National Association of African American Owned Media, collectively ESN, sued, alleging that Comcast's behavior violated 42 U.S.C. Section 1981, which guarantees all persons the same right to make and enforce contracts as, enjoy, as is enjoyed by white citizens. The district court dismissed the complaint for failing to plausibly show that, but for racial animus, Comcast would have contra contracted with ESN. The Ninth Circuit reversed, holding that ESN needed only to plead facts plausibly showing that race played, a, played some role in the defendant's decision-making process, and that under this standard ESN had pleaded a viable claim. The Supreme Court held the decision is vacated and remanded and Justice Gorsuch delivered the opinion of the court. A Section 1981 plaintiff bears the burden of showing that the plaintiff's race was a but-for cause of its injury and that the burden remains constant over the life of the lawsuit. To prevail, a tort plaintiff typically must prove but-for causation. See University of Texas Southwestern Medical Center versus Nasser. Normally, too, the essential elements of a claim remain consistent throughout the lawsuit. See Lujan versus Defenders of Wildlife. ESN suggests that Section 1981 creates an exception to one or both of these general principles, either because a Section 1981 plaintiff only bears the burden of showing that race was a motivating factor in the current defendant's challenge decision, or because even when but-for causation applies at trial, a plausible motivating factor showing is all that is necessary to overcome a motion to dismiss at the pleading stage. Several clues taken collectively make clear that Section 1981 follows the usual rules. The statute's text suggests but-for causation. An ordinary English speaker would not say that a plaintiff did not enjoy the same right to make contracts as enjoyed by white citizens if race was not a but-for cause affecting the plaintiff's ability to contract. Nor does the text suggest that the test should be different in the face of a motion to dismiss. The larger structure and history of the Civil Rights Act of 1866 provide further clues. When enacted, Section 1981 did not provide a private enforcement mechanism for violations. That right was judicially created. See Johnson versus Railway Express Agency. But even in that era, 
the court usually insisted that the legal elements of implied clauses of action, implied causes of action, can be at least as demanding as those found in an analogous statutory cause of action. That rule supplies useful guidance here, where a neighboring section of the sec of the 1866 Act uses the terms on account of and by reason of. That'd be section 214 uh, statute 27. Phrases often held to indicate but for causation and gives no hint that a different rule might apply at different times in the life of a lawsuit. Another provision provides that in cases not provided for by the act, the common law shall govern. Section 3, which in 1866 usually treated a showing of but-for causation as a prerequisite to a tort suit. This court's precedents confirm what the statute's language and history indicate. See Johnson, Buchanan v. Worley, and Buchanan v. Worley. ESN urges applying the motivating factor causation test in Title VII of the Civil Rights Act of 1964 to Section 1981 cases. But this court has already twice rejected such efforts in other contexts. See, for example, Gross versus FBL Financial Services. And there is no reason to think it would fit any better here. Moreover, when that test was added to Title VII in the Civil Rights Act of 1991, Congress also amended Section 1981 without mentioning motivating factors. Even if ESN is correct that those amendments clarified that Section 1981 addresses not just contractual outcomes, but the whole contracting process, its claim that a process-oriented right necessarily pairs with a motivating factor causal standard is mistaken. The burden-shifting framework of McDonnell Douglas Corporation versus Green also supplies no support for the innovations ESN seeks. The Court of Appeals should determine in the first instance how the operative amended complaint in this case fares under the proper standard. The decision below is vacated and remanded. Justice Gorsuch delivered the opinion of the court in which Chief Justice Roberts and Justices Thomas, Breyer, Alito, Sotomayor, Kagan, and Kavanaugh joined, and in which Justice Ginsburg joined except for the footnote. Justice Ginsburg filed an opinion concurring in part and concurring in the judgment. Thank you for listening.